Welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, an affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, the TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, and glad to have you with us wherever you may be. Do this brand new podcast. I know there are a million podcasts out there, but we're going to try to be a little bit different, a little unique uh, with what we uh, do here with the Grizz Weekly Grind. I- Obviously, we are going to talk about the Memphis Grizzlies and all things NBA. After all, that, that's why we're here, and that's probably why you're there listening to this, because you're interested in the NBA, and you're listening, or you're interested, rather, uh, about the Memphis Grizzlies. And so we will bring you the very best coverage that we can, uh, which is a bit of a challenge these days, in uh, the days of, of COVID-19, but uh, we are going to do that. But we're going to do a little bit more than that. Um one of the things that I find a little frustrating in my job as the TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies is that we don't have a whole lot of time during the pregame show to really do some long-form interviews, to really get to know people, to really, uh, you know, chop it up, as, uh, as some people would say. Um, and we, we don't have the opportunity to do that. Uh, when I talked to Taylor Jenkins before the game, I've got 90 seconds and maybe two minutes if we're lucky. And that usually is two questions, and then we're done and we're, we're on to something else. And so what I'd like to do with the Grizz Weekly Grind is to talk to people for an extended period of time and to get their take on things. And it, 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 most of the guests, obviously, are going to be basketball-related, but one of the things that I think will make this podcast unique is that we will talk to other people from Memphis or with Memphis ties uh, who might be Grizzlies fans, but they're not basketball people. There are some wonderful chefs here in Memphis. Uh, there are other local celebrities who uh, are very, very fond of the NBA. And so we'll probably bring them aboard as well and get their take on the Grizzlies. And, uh, you know, for those people who are listening to this who are not native to Memphis or have never lived in Memphis, uh, this will be an opportunity for you to learn a little bit more about Memphis, maybe a little bit more than Beale Street and uh, a little bit more than the blues and barbecue. So uh, that's something that I think is going to make this podcast uh, unique, the fact that we will be able to do some long-form interviews. And I'm very excited about that. We're starting to line some of those up right now. We've got a couple of them already recorded. Very excited about it. Um, before we go any further, I want to tell you that the Grizz Weekly Grind is being brought to you today by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, the mission of the Hoop City Basketball Club has been to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic. With discipline, responsibility, and accountability, Hoop City has developed young men to be great on the court and also in the community. Alumni of the Hoop City Basketball Club include major college and some NBA players as well. If you'd like some information on how to become part of this great sports and character building club, log on to HoopCityBC.com. And I know a lot of people who are involved with Hoop City, and they do a great job not only coaching the game of basketball, but working with young men grades 1 through 12 uh, to instill in them some character and responsibility and uh, just grow up to be better young men. So that is, uh, that's Hoop City, ba- uh, Hoop City Basketball Club, and we're glad that they, uh, they're along for the ride for this season. So what is the Grizz Weekly Grind going to sound like? Uh, well, we're going to have some regular features here. We're going to try to have some structure for this thing. We're going to have some fun with it. At least I hope we have some fun. Um, and we're going to, th- these are some of the segments that, that I've thought up. 
and hopefully they work. And if they don't, well, you know, hey, we'd love to have some feedback. My Twitter handle is at Pete Pranica. You can always tell me that I'm an idiot and, uh, you know, hey, you really need to change what you're doing with the podcast. Just don't use the word idiot. I, I don't care for that. Um, segments of the program, we're going to do That Was the Week That Was, where we will talk about the particular games that in the recent past uh, and get a get a quick breakdown on what happened in the last week or since we last visited on this podcast because we're uh, we're shooting for a couple of podcasts each week. The other thing uh, that we're going to do we're going to do PD's points and these uh, are topics that I can pontificate on, opine on, and uh, I, you know, look if you're looking for controversy, this is probably the wrong podcast uh, to listen to. Uh, I do have opinions. But uh, I'm, I'm not going for, for clicks. Uh, I'm not trying to be sensationalistic, uh, just trying to be as honest as I possibly can. And uh, that's how we're going to approach this podcast. We're going to be honest and straightforward with you. Uh, I had mentioned that one of the features of this particular podcast is the opportunity for us to do some longer form interviews with uh, intriguing people. And uh, we're going to go, we're going to put these under two titles. Uh, we're going to have Friend of the Program. Uh, these would mostly be uh, people that I uh, know through the NBA, and we'll uh, chat with them about various NBA-related topics. And as I also said earlier, we want to bring you some information about Memphis, things that you may not know. And so uh, we'll bring on the podcast people that um, are not directly connected with the Memphis Grizzlies, but are connected with the community, and uh, you can learn a little bit more about uh the Memphis area, and we're going to call that segment 901 Knowledge. And for those of you who don't know, 901 is the area code for Memphis, Tennessee. So that's what we're looking at doing here for uh, for the Grizz Weekly Grind. And uh, who knows, we may add some new segments. It just If I brainstorm something, you know, we may add something else here. So without further ado, let's get to That Was the Week That Was. Of course, the Grizzlies go 3-1 and one in the preseason. They were about to go 4-0. They were leading the Atlanta Hawks big in the last preseason game, and then Taylor Jenkins emptied the bench, and the Grizzlies end up 3-1. And, and, and coming out of the preseason, you felt pretty good about where you were, uh, particularly when you've got John Morant. You, you understand that you don't have Jaron Jackson Jr., you don't have Justice Winslow, but the thought was, look, as long as you have John Morant, things are going to be really, really good. And so you open up at home to San Antonio and you get off to a really, really good start. Um, the Grizzlies shot 52% against the San Antonio Spurs, which knowing San Antonio's tradition for defense, you would think 52% against San Antonio is going to be pretty good. Uh, well, San Antonio is also pretty good. And they've got some very fine young players. They're playing without Derek White, you might remember. But... Uh, you know, Lonnie Walker, the fourth, really big game from him. Uh, DeJounte Murray, I thought, was exceptional. And DeJounte Murray uh, is one of these young players that, you know, has missed some time due to injury, but I think is going to be a very fine player for the San Antonio Spurs. So, yeah, I mean, the Grizzlies shoot really well in that first game, uh, but San Antonio is also above 50% as well. Highlight of this game, clearly, John Morant goes for 44 points, nine assists, just one turnover. And you start to see that, look, when you look at the three games that counted, and I'm going to talk about the last seeding game in Orlando against Milwaukee, Morant goes for a triple-double. 
Then in the play-in game against the Portland Trailblazers, he goes for a career-high 35. And again, in both those games, he doesn't have Jaron Jackson Jr. with him. And then in the third game, that counts. So we're discounting the preseason, of course. He goes for another career-high with 44 against the San Antonio Spurs. So you lose to San Antonio, and you think, okay, well, really, how good is San Antonio? And San Antonio may be better than a lot of people think. Uh, they're, they're trying to mix some old guys with LaMarcus Aldridge and Rudy Gay with some younger guys like DeJounte Murray and Lonnie Walker and Derek White. Um, and they're very, very high on this young kid, Keldon Johnson, uh, who played very well in the Orlando bubble. So, you know, you look at that and you're like, okay, well, okay, so you lose to San Antonio. You got off to a good start. You're at home. There's no crowd. Okay. The loss to Atlanta after Grizzlies had played so well against Atlanta in the preseason, that was one that was a, a bit of a downer because you shoot just 40% against an Atlanta defense that nobody is is going to say is, is one of the best in the league. And, and that was, I think, the most disappointing part about that game is that the Grizzlies did not take advantage of Atlanta's defense in that game. And, you know, you shoot 39.8% and just 30% from three, it's 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 going to make it kind of hard. But again, the highlight, you get another good game from John Moran as he goes for 28 in that game. And honestly, looking at the schedule, walking into the schedule, I'm thinking, okay, you've got San Antonio. You don't know how good San Antonio is going to be. And then you are going to get an Atlanta team that is missing a lot of people right now. They picked up Chris Dunn. He's not able to play. Uh, you're thinking, okay, well, maybe you go 2-0 and at home, and then you go on this three-game Eastern road trip, and maybe things are going to take a turn for the better. Um, the Brooklyn game, the Grizzlies win at 116-111 in overtime. And, and the plus is, obviously, you win a game. You win a game on the road, which is always difficult. Grizzlies have done well at Brooklyn in, in recent years. Of course, the problem is you lose John Morant with the sprained left ankle. And when it happened, and when you looked at the replay, you, didn't, you wanted to turn away because it, it did look to be a fairly severely sprained ankle. Grade 2 ankle sprain, as we all know out three to five weeks. The big benefit to this is we start to see the continued development of Kyle Anderson, which started back in the bubble. For those of you who are not familiar, Kyle Anderson a couple years ago was bothered by a shoulder injury. And despite everybody's best attempts to diagnose exactly what was going on with that shoulder, uh, it, it, nothing really, really seemed to work. Um, those who follow the NBA know that Markel Fultz has, had had struggles with his shot and he underwent a procedure called a thoracic decompression procedure. And now he's better able to shoot the basketball. Kyle Anderson underwent a similar procedure, and he's been shooting the basketball much better. We saw him as a legitimate three-point threat in the bubble in Orlando, and, uh, and he continues to, uh, to shoot the ball well from three, finishes with a career-high 28 points in that game at Brooklyn, he had come into the game with a career best of two threes in a single game, which he did against Atlanta in the second game of the season, almost immediately doubled it. He goes four for eight against Brooklyn. But the thing that really bailed out the Grizzlies is the fact that Dylan Brooks came up with 24 and uh, seven rebounds and four assists, easily his best game, I think, of the season in an all-around form. 
but you lose John Morant for three to five weeks, and that's never a good thing. So then you go on to Boston. The Boston game, the Grizzlies were still trying to figure out, okay, how do we work around not having John Morant? And we also don't have DeAnthony Melton because he was sitting due to the um, the COVID protocols, even though he did not tested positive for it. But the health and safety protocols, he was not with the team. So really you're left with Kyle Anderson as only your backup point guard. Tyus Jones is going to have to start. Um, Grizzlies, I think, were trying to play too fast and do too much way too many turnovers against Brooklyn against Boston rather and um you know it it just became one of those things that it the snow, snowball started rolling down the hill Jalen Brown a career high 42 points for him Boston hit 16 threes Grizzlies hit nine and oh by the way another injury and you lose Grayson Allen and so um that really is a you know that that's another guy now that you're losing in Grayson Allen I mean he'd been up and down in terms of making his shot so now uh, you're down John Morant, you're already down Justice, you're already down Jaron, Ja goes out in Brooklyn, and now Grayson Allen is lost in the Boston game, and uh, as of the time of this recording, we're waiting to see exactly how long he might miss, but that did look like a fairly substantial ankle sprain for him as well. And so with that, the Grizzlies close the book on calendar year 2020 with a 1-3 and record to start the season. So that was the week that was. The first four games for the Grizzlies, they lose three of the four, only the overtime win in Brooklyn. Grizzlies will have one more road game uh, on this trip when they take on Charlotte on New Year's Day, and then they come back home and settle in with a couple of games against the Lakers, and uh, they'll be doing it again very, very shorthanded. So with that, let's go to, uh, to Petey's points, things that uh, are rattling around my brain pan. And I know that everybody's been asking, what are the, what, what's going to happen with the injuries with, with the Grizzlies? You know, when's Jaron going to come back? When's Justice going to come back? We already have a timeline for John Morant, three to five weeks. And that's based on your typical grade two ankle sprain, which when you look at an MRI, you can, you can determine more or less the severity of that sprain. Jaron's coming back from meniscus surgery. Justice is dealing with a hip displacement. And you know, everybody wants to know, when are they coming back? When are they coming back? Are they going to be back for MLK Day? Are they going to be back by the end of January? Are they going to be back in February? And the Grizzlies, wisely so, have not put a timetable on it. And for those of you who are not familiar with how this all works, usually what happens in a rehab situation is that the performance staff, the team training staff, will set benchmarks for a player that if you are coming back from this procedure, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and they continue to ramp up the activity level. The player also has to give feedback on that. So if a player is approaching a benchmark and they have soreness or they have swelling or some type of uh, discomfort, well, then they can't pass that benchmark, and then you're not going to increase their activity level. So there's a very measured way in which athletic training staffs do this, and that's what the Grizzlies are doing. Also remember that the Grizzlies have always been, and I think wisely so, they have been very conservative with how they've dealt with rehab and bringing guys back. You do not want there to be another injury because the initial injury was not sufficiently healed and the player was not sufficiently rehabbed. Look, 
John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., these guys are the future of the franchise, and the Grizzlies have a lot invested in them, not only financially, but also from uh, an identity standpoint of what this team is going to be going forward. So they, the Grizzlies, and again, rightfully so, are going to be very conservative with how they handle all this. Um, that's number one. Number two, the Grizzlies are going to be a work in progress. They surprised the NBA last year. They had an opportunity to be the eighth seed in the West if they had handled their business in Orlando. They struggled in clutch games. They were 0-5 in clutch games in Orlando. They were not able to finish games off. They were there without Tyus Jones, which I think was a huge loss that you know sometimes gets forgotten. But Tyus Jones was not available to them in the bubble. Jaron Jackson Jr. was, was unavailable for most of the bubble. Um, and this year is going to be a work in progress because even though there is a high level of continuity from last year to this, now you're dealing with the fact that Jaron Jackson Jr. is not going to be there at the start. He's not going to be here for an indeterminate period of time. You're also missing Justice Winslow. And I think everybody who follows the Grizzlies is very eager to see what Justice Winslow can mean for this basketball team. The Grizzlies front office is convinced that he will be a difference maker for this basketball team. Justice is convinced that he can help this basketball team. But at this point, he is not healthy enough yet to be on the floor to help this basketball team. So, you know, the Grizzlies are going to continue to be a work in progress. We knew that really from the start of the season. And now with Morant being lost to the ankle injury um, and also Grayson Allen for a period of time, this is going to be another work in progress because the Grizzlies suffering a lot of injuries. This goes in cycles. Last year, the Grizzlies lost only, quote-unquote, only, and it was one of the fewest uh, number of games lost to injury last year, 124, but they're starting to rack them up early this year. So those are the things. Those are the PD's points for episode number one of the Grizz Weekly Grind. Well, we talked about the San Antonio Spurs. They have been the predominant and preeminent franchise in the NBA over the last 20 years plus years. You have Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, you have Tony Parker. You're going to be pretty good. Well, one of the guys who has been around to document the vast majority of that is the radio voice of the San Antonio Spurs, Bill Shoning. And our first friend of the program is Bill Shoning. Here's that conversation recorded before the Grizzlies took on the San Antonio Spurs. Today's friend of the program is Bill Shoning, longtime radio voice of the San Antonio Spurs, entering year number 20 in the Alamo City. Um, everybody knows you, or some people know you as, as, as Philly Billy or Billy Philly, because you were uh, born and raised in the Philadelphia area. So how does a Philly guy get to uh, San Antonio? Oh, you know how this media thing works, Pete. You know, you go where the job is, right? So um, I, I grew up in Philly and uh, in the inner city, by the way. And when you grow up in a city like that, that's so passionate about sports, uh, you know how the Philly fans are. Um, it, it's easy to kind of get caught up in it. And uh, I loved college basketball and, and the NBA. Will Chamberlain was playing for the Sixers at the time when I was a small kid. And of course, they won the championship in 67. So I would have been about nine years old. But also college basketball. There's a building on the University of Pennsylvania campus called the Palestra. And uh, those of you that know a lot about college basketball know about the Palestra. It was built in 1926. The first game was played there in 1927. So the building is almost 100 years old. And I kind of grew up in that building uh, watching the Big Five. There are five Division I schools in Philadelphia. Uh, the University of Pennsylvania, that's their home gym. But St. Joe's, LaSalle, Temple, Villanova all play games there as well. So uh, on a Saturday night, you might go see a doubleheader 
and um, the place would be packed. And uh, it was just a great atmosphere. So kind of atmosphere, it was really easy to kind of fall in love with football. And that's one of the reasons why I got into the business. Well, that's what you got into the business, but you ended up uh, going where the job is, which I guess ended up being Texas. And then at one point you were the voice of the Texas Longhorns. Yes, I actually worked my way up in Texas. Uh, my first uh, play-by-play job was out in West Texas, in a little small town called La Mesa. Pete, you, you don't know this, but I was the voice of the La Mesa Golden Tornadoes for three years. <laughs> uh, I was in my early 20s, so I was just paying dues like we all have to do in this business. Uh, and then I was at Sam Houston State for six years. Uh, my first college play-by-play job, I got that at the age of 24. So I was moving my way up. I was there six years. And then I was lucky enough to land a job at KLBJ in Austin. And I actually worked for Lady Bird Johnson for a while. Uh, and KLBJ had the rights to the University of Texas. So I was the voice of the Longhorns for 12 years. And at that station, we did football, basketball, baseball. Uh, so it was a great gig. Uh, but then the Spurs job kind of fell on my lap. Uh, I wasn't looking for another job. I was real happy uh, in Austin with the University of Texas. But uh, that job came open in 2001. So this, as you mentioned, uh, I'm beginning my 20th year with the Spurs. Uh, you talk about going where the work is and, and kind of doing odd jobs and all that. My first radio job, I was reading school lunch menus and obituaries <laughs> and, uh, and and calling bingo for a local grocery store is one there of you the go. promotions. So, hey, yeah. You know what? You got, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, I hosted a show called Tell and Sell on Saturday mornings where people would call in with things that they have to sell. And then other people would call and say, uh, what was that number? Uh, I want to pick up. I want to get that old 65 with a headache. I didn't even know what a headache rack was, but, uh, and there's the culture shock too, of, you know, growing up in the inner city of Philadelphia, then moving out to West Texas, uh, where things are you know quite a bit different. So I had that uh, culture shock to kind of get over, but uh, I really enjoyed it. I tried to not look at it like I was paying dues, but rather uh, I was kind of putting money in the bank and, and uh, trying to get better and better. It wasn't making much money, but that really didn't matter at the time. As long as I could, you know, uh, have a full meal and to keep a roof over my head, I figured I could get better if I, if, if I was able to, you know, work my way through it. We're visiting, visiting with Bill Shoning, longtime radio voice of the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, Bill, the 22-year streak of making the playoffs ended in the Orlando bubble. How weird was it to not have postseason games to call? Well, I... Very, very spoiled, Pete. You know, I, and I will be the first to admit Spurs fans are also very, very spoiled. Since they drafted Tim Duncan in 1997, uh, they've made the playoffs every year up until this past year. So it was, very, very, of course, they're in kind of a rebuilding mode now. They've got some young guys really put together some good young pieces. Um, and uh, the Western Conference is as tough as ever. It's as deep as ever. But, uh, uh, we're hopeful that this uh, playoff drought doesn't last very long. You talk about some new pieces. It's it's probably the youngest roster that Greg Popovich has had maybe in his entire yes. tenure in it San is. Antonio. Who who are who are the young guys that give San Antonio Spurs fans hope for a, a better and brighter future? Well, just yesterday, Pete, they signed an extension for Derek White, uh, who was a young guy from the University of Colorado. Uh, Derek White started out uh, at uh, Colorado, Colorado Springs, a Division II school, and really didn't blossom until his junior year. Then he transferred to the University of Colorado for his senior year, uh, and he was a late bloomer, no question about it. He got bigger and stronger, uh, and now he's in his fourth year with the Spurs. Uh, he has a toe injury, so he has not been able to start the regular season with the Spurs, but uh, he played great in the bubble last August, averaging uh, close to 20 points per game. Uh, he was second in the league during the course of the regular season in blocks for guards, uh, block shots, that is, and also taking charges. 
So um, he's a very uh, crafty player, very good defensive player, and he's one of the guys they're building around. Also a very good defensive guard is DeJounte Murray, uh, who uh, was a late first-round pick uh, and now is in his fifth year. He lost an entire year due to ACL surgery, uh, but he came on strong last year, and I think he's going to have a really good year both ends of the floor. Uh, they've got a young player I'm really excited about, Pete. You probably haven't seen him play very much uh, because he played most of last year in the G League. His name is Keldon Johnson. He was also a late first-round pick. Uh, and uh, he's a very athletic player, uh, just 21 years of age. And I think that he's really got a bright future. He gets up and down the floor. Uh, he's very aggressive offensively. He averaged 20 points per game in the G League. And in the bubble, he averaged 14 points per game. The most action he saw with the Spurs was uh, during the eight restart games in Orlando. So I know that they've got bright plans for him. They, they really think that he's going to be a big part of their rotation uh, moving forward. Unfortunately, Keldon also has a foot injury. And uh, he did not uh, participate in training camp in the first three preseason games. And uh, – but I think he's real close to coming back. So uh, those three guys right there are also Lonnie Walker, very athletic player uh, out of the University of Miami. Uh, he is now set for his third year. Uh, he just had his 22nd birthday. Uh, he's an athletic swing man. And Jakob Pertl is a guy that really is known more for his defense, uh, but he's a very good rim protector, sets good screens, can rebound. I think he'll have an expanded role as well. The big three, of course, have moved on. There were, have been so many good characters, and I mean characters in a good way, to have come through San Antonio, whether it's Ben Udre, uh, Tony <laughs> Parker, Tim Duncan. I mean, you had so many wonderful personalities. Boris Diaw, all right, and his espresso machine and, and drinking red wine. Um, it, it's probably hard for you to, to, to pick out one favorite. It's like picking your favorite child. But uh, do you have a favorite one or two characters just set the basketball part aside but just good guys to be around or interesting guys to be around yeah there are a lot of interesting good guys to be around you know the Spurs were kind of ahead of the curve Pete in terms of bringing in international players uh Tony Parker obviously from Paris France even though he's got an American name his dad was an American but Tony grew up in Europe uh but I if I had to pick out a guy it'd probably be Manu Ginobili uh, for a couple of reasons. One, he was always so cooperative with the media. He was always accessible, uh, always had a couple of minutes. He'd always say to me, dos minutos después. And I had to learn what that meant. It meant two minutes after. So after he got done warming up, he'd always come over and give me two minutes, always, consistently. He always remembered I was there. You know, sometimes you get left hanging, a guy forgets about you, and he gets off the, uh, the floor after warm-ups. So Manu was never like that. He'd always come over. Of course, he's a big national hero in Argentina. He really put Argentina on the map as far as basketball is concerned. Uh, so he would have to be my favorite. Now, I'm very proud to say this, but I never missed a game that Manu played. So he played 16 years in the NBA, preseason, uh, postseason, and regular season. I was there for every one of them. So I got a chance to see him play every night, and that, that's a big thrill for me. Uh, you mentioned Boris Diaw. He's also a favorite. And, you know, Boris is from France, and he played for several different teams. Uh, but Boris was probably the most laid-back guy. Uh, real quick story, you know Chad Forcier, who was an assistant coach with Memphis there for a while. Right. Uh, Chad was warming guys up and uh, Boris was a little bit late coming out, you know, maybe a minute or two late for his scheduled time, his slotted time for pregame warmups. And Chad said, Boris, you know, you're supposed to be out here with 60 on the clock. It's 58 on the clock. You're, you're, you're two minutes late again. He goes, but coach, I told you last time I'm French. <laughs> so I, I asked Boris after that, I said, uh, do you get through life just being French? He goes, oh, it's a great excuse because people know you don't care. <laughs> 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 but but Boris did care it was just his laissez-faire kind of attitude you know he wasn't really worried about punching the clock let's put it that way but uh, a great guy this was of course late in his career uh but uh yeah Boris is another favorite of mine okay so Boris is 
fairly laissez-faire. And I think Greg Popovich might be the opposite of, <laughs> of, of laissez-faire, or at least that's the perception. Now, I got to spend some time with him a couple of years ago when I did your playoff series with Denver for NBA TV, and, and we got the, the exclusive pregame visit, which was, which was very cool. Um, but what, what, what about Greg Popovich? I mean, he, he portrays as this, this kind of crusty guy, yet within the organization, there is tremendous loyalty to him. So uh-huh. peel back the curtain a little bit about your relationship with Pop and, and what he means to that franchise. Well, obviously, he's meant the world to this franchise. It is his 25th year. And as you just mentioned, uh, you know, last year was the first time they missed the playoffs in 22 seasons. Uh, you know, it, it's it's amazing that uh, he's got so many layers, Pete. He's interested in all this different stuff. And, you know, sometimes you try to get a pregame interview with him and you want to talk X's and O's and pick and roll defense. And, uh, you know, that doesn't interest him. He'd rather talk about fine wine or a great restaurant in Memphis or uh, history or, you know, he's got all these different things that he's interested in. So my best conversations through the years with pop have been about things away from the basketball floor. I remember when we got picked to go over to Europe in 14. Uh, we were in the playoff run in 14. The Spurs won the championship that year. Uh, but pop was so excited that we found out we were going to go to Berlin and Istanbul in October. And he came right back and told me because he knew that I had studied some German. I spoke a little German and I was, I had never been to Germany. So he said, Hey, look in October, we're going to Berlin. He was, he was excited for me. So, um, so those things, of course, away from basketball and you look at the coaching tree that he has so many guys that have worked under pop uh, are now head coaches. I mean, the list goes on and on. Monty Williams in Memphis was a part of the uh, Austin Spurs, the Austin Toros, the G League team. So he never really worked directly under Pop, but he was part of the franchise. Uh, And uh, James Borrego in Charlotte, Mike Budenholzer in Milwaukee. The list goes on and on. Brett Brown, of course, just got let go in Philadelphia, but uh, he was there uh, with the Sixers. So uh, so many different assistant coaches have uh, gone on and done very well. Uh, So Pop's got quite a coaching tree. I think it's uh, eight or nine guys now that are head coaches around the NBA that once served under Pop. Now, Pop certainly is, uh, I guess you could almost call him a polymath because he is interested in so many different things. And, and you are you are not a one note wonder. I mean, you are <laughs> you are a musician. You write music, you perform music. And uh, which in Austin, which is uh, which is your home right now. I mean, it's a fabulous music scene. So tell us a little bit about Bill Shoning's music career. Well, growing up, I loved music. I grew up on Philly soul, like the stylistics and um, the Delphonics, bands like that. And uh, then uh, when I got into high school, I really started getting into the Bruce Springsteen thing. And Bruce, of course, is Masbury Park, which is about an hour's drive from Philly. So uh, a lot of guys were going down the shore. They would go to different places in the shore, like Atlantic City or Wildwood. I would go over to Asbury Park and go listen to Springsteen play in the clubs uh, before he was big. And uh, so I got on that Bruce Springsteen train very early. Uh, so that really kind of got me into music. I'd always written poetry and, and lyrics, but I didn't really pick up a guitar until I moved to Austin. Because as you know, Pete, when you move to Austin, there's a rule. You've got to pick up a guitar. you got to get a guitar. So <laughs> right. I started forming some chords and, and writing some melodies. So now I've been doing that for a little over 20 years. I've probably written 30 songs. I've released three CDs. And during COVID, I was able to write a few more tunes and do some videos and uh, just have some fun with it because it's something to do. Now, I'm not an elite musician. I'm not a great musician. I can write lyrics. I can write melodies. But what I do is I surround myself with really good musicians. So when I go in the studio, when I go in the studio to record, uh, I have these guys that are much better musicians than me, quite frankly, that really help create the sound. They kind of know where I want to go and they go there with me. And um, uh, it's good to have really good friends that are talented. And I, I try to do that uh, no matter what I do, even in, in, in play by play or whatever. Uh, I try to have friends that are talented to make me look good. 
No. Well, Bill, really appreciate the time. I'd like to say we'll see you down the road, but we don't know exactly when, given COVID, because everybody's doing their their broadcasts remotely. How challenging is that going to be for you this year? Uh, it'll be a challenge for all of us, you know, and I think one of the things that I'm really going to miss, Pete, is seeing guys like you, you know, seeing my colleagues from other teams because, you know, we don't always have a chance to get caught up, do a little bit of homework, you know, talk about who's hurt, you know, who's going to play tonight, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but just seeing everybody, you know, seeing you and Brev and, um, you know, Eric and, and all the guys uh, there with Memphis. And it's great that we, you know, get to see each other so often. But, of course, this year it's going to be a little bit different. So I guess we got to sacrifice this year, and hopefully uh, next season we'll be able to see everybody. And, uh, you know, maybe we're going to raise a glass together uh, next year and uh, really appreciate each other more, appreciate the company uh, of each other a little bit more next year. Now, Bill, really appreciate your time today. Have a great season, and we'll talk to you later on. Looking forward to it, Pete. Thank you. And that will do it for the debut edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind, an affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. Our thanks to Bill Schoening, radio voice of the San Antonio Spurs, and also our thanks to Hoop City Basketball Club for their support of the Grizz Weekly Grind. I'm Pete Pranica. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be talking to you soon on the Grizz Weekly Grind and the Basketball Podcast Network. Podcast Network.